0: Will you be able to use your wits, your steady hand, and your charm to become a knight of Daventry? Well, let's find out with King's Quest, this week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast.
1: So what shall it be? Do you join the union?
0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 79 of the Upper Memory Block Podcast. I'm your host Joe and I am here once again to chat with you about a game from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. So I'm back. Uh it's only been about a week, a little over a week since uh since the last show came out. Uh we had the hangout on uh, games that changed you, things that changed you. It was a really cool conversation. Want to thank the guys again for uh for hanging out with me and uh, yeah, I don't know what happened, but uh over the past week uh, that show particularly and, and a bunch of the shows have seen a bit of a you know, we'll get a bit inside baseball here, but uh seen a bit of a spike in download numbers and uh and that makes me feel real 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 good and uh you know, I know the last uh, the last episode had a little bit of, uh, of audio funniness, but uh, I've only heard good things. Very great, as uh, my friend Brian demodulated put it, some really great heartfelt stories from uh, from our childhoods. You know, why we are the way we are, why we game the way we game, why we do what we do. So uh, I want to thank Tomer for for coming up with that uh, that uh, that that topic, and uh, yeah, we had a really really great time. Uh, Aside from that, I think, was it the day after, <laughs> the uh, the Sunday after the, um, the hangout, uh, my wife and I did uh, a bike ride. It was called the Epic Tour of Halton in the Halton Hills, just uh, west of Toronto, and uh, we actually rode 80 kilometers, which uh, for you, you non-metric folk is 50 miles, and uh, through very hilly terrain, it was very tiring, it took us yeah, about a good five hours uh, in... Bit of gray weather and some rain, but it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, now now I can say, hey, I rode my bike 80 kilometers in a shot. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, it kind of kicked my wife into gear to uh, he got her really comfortable on her bike. So now uh, I think last weekend we went on another nice about a 40 kilometer bike ride. So, uh, yeah, we're uh, spending the, uh, the fall on our bikes until the snow comes. And uh, we'll be running a, a race of some kind. On October 18th, the Toronto Waterfront Marathon is happening. And, um, we promised some friends that we'd, we'd participate. And at the time, uh, we said, oh, yeah, we'll train up for the half marathon, 21 kilometers, 13 miles, whatever, and no problem. But we haven't really had time to do that properly. So we said, oh, you know, maybe we'll crap out and do the, the 5K. But, uh, you know, we had a chat today and we're going to give it a whirl. Maybe this weekend, try a longer run and see if we can, you know, with a horrible time, hack the 21 kilometers. But, uh, We'll find out. So yeah, super active fall, uh, hoping to get some more bike rides in before the snow, and once the snow comes, get my skis out, and also, you know, spend uh, spend some more time gaming. I've been listening, like I said, to uh, uh, Brian Demodulated on his show Square Waves FM that I've been on a couple times, and, um, you know, Gamers with Jobs, and a bunch of the other kind of gaming-focused podcasts that I listen to. And it's really gotten me reinvigorated. You know, I'm starting to think about upgrading my my graphics card on my machine and all that and doing some streaming and, and things just really, I don't know, I, w- I want to play more games. It's been a, a busy summer and I haven't had a lot of time to sit down and, and play games. And, you know, it's like one of those things, you don't realize you haven't been doing it until you think real hard. And then uh, you're like, wow, you know, I not that I'd want to do it to the exclusion of other things, but... You know, I enjoy playing games, which is, you know, one of the main reasons I do this podcast. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to dedicate a bit more time to uh, to playing games. I was able to get through, you know, the full uh, episode of, of uh, the game I'm going to talk about this week. But uh, all that aside, let's let's get rolling. Let's get into things so I can spend less time nattering on about nothing and more time recording a podcast and playing games.
2: You're listening to the Upper memory block.
0: All right, so a few emails to begin the show. Um, the first one comes from my friend, Elima, and she writes, Hello, Joe. I know you were a bit nervous about covering something as big as Baldur's Gate, but you totally knocked it out of the park. I loved it. I'm still kicking myself for not mentioning Minskin Boo, and Boo, <laughs> in my email, or how awesome Ray, Muzika, Augustine Yip, and Greg Zetchuk are and how much I look up to them. Just an all-around awesome episode, great research, awesome sum-up. Thank you so much for all the blood, sweat, and tears you pour into this labor of love. I'm guessing, uh, I guess, uh, I'm assuming really, correct me if I'm wrong. No, you are right. It is certainly a labor of love. A tiny detail, but when you mentioned Jennifer Hale, you said she voiced Fem Shep and GLaDOS, but GLaDOS in Portal was actually voiced by Ellen McLean. But yeah, her credit list is indeed endless, and Jennifer Hale is indeed awesome, as is Ellen McLean when you listen to the Portal dev commentary. Weird that everyone I know seems to think that a Baldur's Gate 3 would be amazing. I really can't be the only one who doesn't want Baldur's Gate 3, right? In my opinion, the saga was nicely wrapped up in Baldur's Gate 2 uh, to be complete with satisfying epilogues, and uh, I really don't want to pick up after that. I feel that my, own's go- my own go, Ryan's ward or wards have completed their journey, and I'm not sure that there's something beyond, although I totally take another RPG set in the Forgotten Realms. Also, it's pronounced Irenicus, <laughs> and don't worry, when, not if you cover the Elder Scrolls, we'll talk about mods again. Anyhow, thanks a bunch for all your hard work. Block on, Emily slash Alima. Thanks, Alima, and uh, yeah, I, I realized very shortly <laughs> after I released the episode, because uh, a couple people, you included, and I think Akago and a few others, pointed out that uh, I did get the Jennifer Hale, Ellen McLean thing mixed up, so I do apologize for that, and they are both awesome, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, a Baldur's Gate 3, I don't know if we necessarily need a game in Baldur's Gate, in the Baldur's Gate universe, but something else in the Forgotten Realms would be cool because I don't think there has been anything because there were a bunch of games that came out before Baldur's Gate that were in uh, the Forgotten Realms, which I think GOG actually just pretty recently released. Maybe a couple days after I I put out the episode, a whole bunch of the older guys came out. But uh, yeah, I think it'd be cool. Next, we have an email from my good buddy, Ben Chandler, and he writes, Hello again, Joe and my fellow blockers. Really enjoyed the Baldur's Gate episode and have been catching up on some shows I missed too. So glad to hear you're also a fan of the original Dune. I've been playing some Starflight recently, so I was excited to go back and listen to the Starflight episode while tidying up my cluttered spare room and really enjoyed it. One thing I wanted to bring up was a game I love, Protostar War on the Frontier. This is a game I originally purchased because of the spectacular science fiction box art, which is one of my favorite, uh, which is one of my favorite video game covers of all time. But soon turned out to be an excellent game, absolutely worthy of my time. Interestingly, the game was originally set to be the third game in the Starflight series, but after six months of work, the deal with Electronic Arts fell through, and Tsunami turned the project into its own thing. The game itself is much like Starflight. As a result, but now with colorful VGA graphics, a crew you have to find one by one, which adds to the fun, in my opinion, and vehicle control now putting you directly in the driver's seat and letting you steer while looking out the windshield of the craft. It gets picked up, or it gets picked on for being shorter than Starflight, but in my opinion, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. I still spent hours and hours charting the universe of Protostar, finding and naming new species and planets making charts of the planets and their resources, and following mysterious messages and leads. Anyway, I was compelled to write in and mention this often forgotten old game. Anyone who enjoys Starflight and Star Control games should definitely see if they can track down a copy. It's a great old game, well worth a look. Thanks for the great podcast as usual, and keep on gaming, Ben Chandler. Well, thanks Ben, and that's a really, I I feel like I may have heard of the name in passing or maybe read a review in like an old computer gaming world or uh or something like that but that sounds really cool and i'm I'm definitely gonna have to take a look at uh at protostar and hey maybe even do uh do a show on it so thanks for that and uh thanks for listening and all the the fun interactions we have in various uh mediums next we have an email from jonathan and jonathan writes joe Just wanted to let you know how much I've been enjoying the UMB podcast. I latched on via a post from the Echo Sector, which is a fan site dedicated to the Crusader series, announcing you were doing an episode about Crusader. After seeing the various other games you've covered over the life of the cast, I subscribed and started listening from episode one. Anyway, just wanted to compliment you on the show. I've really been enjoying the trips down memory lane and the background you devote to each game or series covered. Assuming your username is consistent with your Twitter handle, I also friended you on GOG. If you happen to read all letters on the air, I'll hear this one in about a year after I've caught up. Take care, Jonathan. Oh, well, thanks, Jonathan. And yeah, I actually, I did come across that post on Echo Sector. And I think it's really cool. I love it when uh, it happens from time to time where, uh, you know, community sites or, uh, you know, companies doing reboots or stuff like that will will pick up on an, the fact that I've done an episode on kind of the game that that they're interested in and they post and, I'm very, very grateful to all the, all the sites and the admins and the PR people and whoever come across things who do that because well, hey, it gets the show a bit more out there, and uh, lets the community grow bigger, let's you know more people email in and and participate and uh, you know, allows people to uh, have more opportunity to enjoy these games that uh, I love to talk about so much. So thanks for writing in and uh, I hope in uh, some point in 2016 you hear this and you <laughs> reply finally we've got a voicemail from Greg so take it away Greg
2: hi Joe this is Greg again I uh, just wanted to th- thank you very much for using my audio submission in one of your recent podcasts and thank you for the very kind thoughts that you had uh, also in, in that episode like about the Super NES um, really been enjoying your most recent episodes uh, Baldur's Gate is a game I had picked up on GOG a while back but never actually gotten around to playing I did not know like, about the remake version uh, now I'm definitely going so you know, now I'm definitely, uh, inspired to fire. Check that out. Uh, I'm also, really, I'm also like really looking forward to hearing you uh, what you have to say about the new King's Quest game uh, because I hadn't really heard too much, too much about that. So I'm really, I'm really looking forward to hearing your opinion. Um, Want to give you a quick, a quick heads up uh, that there is a that there is a Humble Bundle going on right now that may be of interest to you. They're doing, uh, they one on the Star Wars uh, radio. Um, uh, radio dramas, uh, where they have the original three um, uh, Star Wars movie uh, radio dramas, plus also they have the Dark Forces uh, Radio Trilogy and some other bonus uh, Star Wars audio submissions on there. Uh, it's a great value, definitely worth checking out. Um, some games that may be on your list for uh, to, to do in a future podcast, I would love for you to cover the original th- Sure, i'd love for you to cover the original system shock uh that's definitely like a great classic game uh like for sure so thank you again for all the awesome work and keep it up and take care
0: thank you greg and uh yeah well you know for me covering system shock eh, hold on because <laughs> there's definitely some news about that and uh it may have uh, affected my judgment <laughs> anyway so thanks a lot thanks for uh thanks for, thanks for
2: the comments you're listening to the upper memory block podcast Time for over.
3: We invite you to experience the stories of the greatest adventurer that ever lived.
0: Grandma said to take three spoonfuls of each.
3: I'll get to
1: those, no need to fuss over me. Now, let's talk about far more important
3: issues. Join Graham as he grows from a young squire to a legendary king in an adventure filled with wonder The whole family can enjoy Weave stories of bravery, compassion, and wisdom For the imaginative mind of Princess Gwendolyn Featuring the voices of Josh Keaton That's not a problem, I have no use for tote bags My mother designed my cape with lots of pockets Tom Kenny I was able to procure an entrance ticket to the tournament Zelda Williams
1: You hear that Chester? You're a hack!
3: Wallace Shawn They'll never acknowledge it, you know. and Christopher Lloyd. There are many ways to win a duel. Now share the charm, the laughs, Oh, right. the puzzles, and a lifetime of adventures. King's Quest, Chapter 1, A Night to Remember. Download the first chapter today.
0: Alright, so as I do from time to time, I am stepping out of the DOS and pre-Windows XP era and into the OS 10 and Windows 10 era. I do this now and again when a new game comes out that uh, harkens back to the usual time frame of the show. So this is you know, not a usual show, but hey, let's roll with it. Uh, this time around, I mean, really, it was a no-brainer. I mean, I'm talking about King's Quest. Now, this is no AGI game, though. This is the new episodic King's Quest developed by a studio called The Odd Gentleman and published by the newly revived Sierra that I talked about for an entire episode back in episode 55. Now, those details aside, King's Quest is a single title, technically, which is being released in episodes. The first episode entitled A Night to Remember, that's K-N-I-G-H-T, ha ha ha, little play on words there. Uh, A Night to Remember released on July 29th, 2015, not all that long ago. So, as we do, let's talk genre. This is where we can maybe get a little bit contentious. You look at the game's title and you'd say right away, King's Quest, this is the series that basically defined the template for what an adventure game is, so obviously this is an adventure game. Well, if you said that, you'd be right. As we saw in the previous uh, UMB cast I did on the rest of the King's Quest series, these were the games that led the way for Sierra in its heyday. Uh, you know, King's Quests were the first games to test out new technologies. King's Quest IV was the first game released in Sierra's new SCI engine. Whether or not you think the King's Quest series was were you know were good or not, you can't deny that they played an immense role in defining what an adventure game is and how an adventure game works. Okay, so this is an adventure game, at least by description. You know, you take control of a character who's either given a quest or falls into one early on in the game. In your way, stand a series of obstacles, usually in the form of puzzles. And these puzzles, as I say, almost every other episode on this show can consist of basically anything you can think of, from logic to wordplay to fetch quests to, you know, the insane. You encounter characters in the world, you collect items, and ultimately, you make your way through the game to the resolution of the story. So, why am I making a big deal out of this? How is this not a traditional adventure game? What are the points of contention? Well, we'll get into more detail in gameplay, but for now, let's put it this way. In a traditional Sierra or LucasArts-style adventure game, you point and click in the world to control your character and to interact with things. The bulk of the puzzles don't have a time component or a Twitch component to them. In this way, the new King's Quest plays a lot more like what I like to call a Telltale-style adventure game, or uh, what Craig mentioned in last week's Hangout, and I think he he put it pretty succinctly. He said, this is a modern adventure game, and I think I'm going to go with that. So what this means is that a lot of the point-and-click elements we're used to are removed in favor of a game that plays a bit better with a controller versus uh, a keyboard and a mouse. There are occasionally quick time events, which I'll get into uh, to create some tension in action scenes. So while this is very much an adventure game by the definition of the term, I'll certainly add the caveat that it is a modern adventure game. That way you're gonna know what to expect going in and your judgment will not be kind of thrown. Alright, so being that this is an adventure game of some variety, the story or the quest is of paramount importance. So, how does this game fit in with the previous eight games in the series? Well, frankly, we're not really entirely sure yet. Uh, We're told that this is not a reboot of the series, nor is it an actual sequel. I mean, this is not King's Quest IX. There's a very good reason for that. This is more of a reimagining of King's Quest than anything. That means that while the previous games are part of the lore and the canon of this game, the designers may take liberties in reinterpreting exactly how events in previous games actually took place. Now this is important and also explainable because of the way this game is framed. We play Graham. As many of us know, Graham is the King of Daventry. He was named King at the end of the original King's Quest, Quest for the Crown, way back in 1983. Well, since then, time has passed. Graham is now an old man, and he does appear to be in failing health. At the very least, he spends quite a lot of time in his bed. After a short, cold-open adventure where Graham has an encounter with a dragon, we realize that we are playing through a story old King Graham is recounting to his granddaughter Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn is the daughter of Prince Alexander, who we first met in King's Quest III— and then revisited in King's Quest VI. Now, she's visiting her grandfather from the land of the Green Isles and can't get enough of his stories, especially if they involve a dragon or some other kind of danger. Now, between stories, we hop back to the present day and follow Gwendolyn's story through cutscenes. The events of her life tend to dictate which story the old king tells us in an effort to teach his young granddaughter a bit of a lesson in anything from adventuring, bravery, responsibility, honor, you know, all that kind of kingly stuff. So now that we've framed things out, let's jump into the game.
2: You are listening to the Upper Podcast.
0: So as I said just now in the story, uh, the game begins with what I call a cold open. Others might call it a prologue. Really, it's a tutorial. Uh, We meet Graham. He's in his 20s, and he's on a mission from King Edward, the current King of Daventry. He's to retrieve the magic mirror from a terrible dragon known as the Legendary Beast, who lives in a cave you access via a well situated in a dark thicket. Now, you don't have to think too hard to realize this is actually a reimagining and retelling of the magic mirror and dragon encounter from King's Quest 1. So this fairly linear section shows us how the game is played. Well, you can play with the keyboard and mouse, I opted for my trusty old wired Xbox 360 controller. As I said, the controls are really where this game departs from the traditional point and click adventure scheme. Now with a controller, frankly, the inputs are pretty intuitive. The left analog stick moves Graham around the screen and uh, occasionally allows you to either aim your bow or inspect things in a first-person view. Uh, The A button performs a default action on a hotspotted item. Uh, You know, If it's something Graham should look at, he'll describe it. If it's something he can pick up, he'll pick it up. If it's a character, he'll talk to them. Uh, There's no action icons or verb list here. This is really a single-click sort of game. Uh, The X button opens your inventory screen that shows a pretty nice-looking listing of items you hold, and that is really basically the uh, the extent of it. Now, one thing I'll say about this game is it has a much bigger sense of humor than the previous games in the series. You know, though some previous King's Quest games were more lighthearted than others, they still did tend to take themselves pretty seriously. Uh, this game breaks the fourth wall quite a few times. Uh, this is readily apparent whenever Graham picks up a relatively large item. Uh, basically... As long as he can fit an item under his somewhat considerable cape, uh, it will somehow end up in his pocket. These animations are well done and oftentimes pretty hilarious. Another departure, at least partially from the pure point-and-click adventure formula, is the addition of what I'll call light action sequences. Uh, As an example, the dragon you're trying to get the mirror from is sleeping, um, and his cave contains a lot of sleeping-type paraphernalia, including a ton of beds that are strewn around the place. In one sequence, you're running through a tunnel and you have to avoid being hit by beds flying back and forth as uh, the dragon snores. At another point, you have to hide under some covers when the dragon noses around for you. Another part, you're riding a bed (laughs) down, uh, I guess, an underground stream or river and you have to shoot things with your bow and arrow. Um, You know, as much as pure adventure gamers may hate these sequences. They really are very easy, and if you fail, you simply get the opportunity to try again. There's no saving or restoring or anything like that needed. In fact, even the save system has been brought up to somewhat more modern standards. As you are informed every time you launch the game, King's Quest uses an auto-saving system. Basically, this is a checkpoint system. It makes it so that you can't really go back very easily, but, uh, you know, the way the game is structured, it doesn't really matter that much. This is the new Sierra. There's no dead ends here. There's no unwinnable states. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a new world. So eventually, uh, you use your wits and your bow to make your way to the dragon's feeding system. And through some intelligent manipulations and timing, you get your hands on the mirror and escape the cave through the well, returning to Daventry, but not before being given a choice to either shoot the dragon in the eye with an arrow or to just try and escape. Now, the whole time through, Old King Graham is narrating our adventure with Gwendolyn, interjecting questions and skepticism and, you know, being uh, a bratty little kid. As the story ends, we return to the present day and meet Old Graham and Gwendolyn for the first time.
1: My hands were shaking and my arms could barely grip the rope. But with the last of my strength, I climbed out of the well and headed back to the castle. Ever since the magic mirror returned, its reflections have warned the kingdom of danger, kept our family safe, and it has exposed many troublesome crumbs tangled in my beard.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. King Edward was so proud that you returned his lost treasure that he made you king.
2: Everyone knows that part. Now, can we get back to that dragon?
1: Gwendolyn! There's so much more to my stories than dragons. I hope this old cap will be remembered for far more than the action tattered across its brim, sewn into the seams of many hidden adventures. All right, let's get back to the dragon. Tell me everything! Where can I learn to shoot like that? A good mentor and practice. This wasn't the first time I went eye to eye with that hideous beast. And while that shot was certainly in self-defense, that arrow was a bit vengeful, I'm afraid. But let's continue that story of the daytime. It's about to get a tad
3: more scary. Dragons don't scare me, even those with all their eyes. If I ever come across that dragon, I'll finish him off for you. And I'll be known throughout Daventry as Gwendolyn the Brave.
1: That's quite a... <laughs> that's quite a bold plan. One that requires a steadfast gut and a deft hand. All right, you two. Grandpa needs to rest. Gwendolyn,
3: it's way past your bedtime.
0: Sleep well, Grandpa. I'll be back first thing in the morning.
1: I don't need rest. I'm as spry as I've ever been. Though I would mind a slice of magic fruit.
0: So we then roll into the next morning. Uh, Turns out Gwendolyn has entered a fencing tournament and will be competing against her older cousin Gart. Now this leads Graham into a new story and the main section of this chapter where he describes his first arrival to Daventry as a teenager. Young Graham intends to take part in the knight tournament and earn a spot in King Edward's court. Now, Through his charm, intelligence and wit, and some dumb luck, Graham works his way through a series of challenges, makes friends, experiences loss, and eventually prevails, even though he is very much the least likely looking knight out of the four competitors. Now, I'm not going to go into details about each of the other knights in the running, as learning about them is part of the game itself suffice it to say that there are no wasted characters here. Uh, The game and the story are tight, everyone is important, and everyone is, well, maybe not entirely complex, at least interesting, mysterious, or
2: funny. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for...
0: Okay, tech focus time. Now these modern game episodes are always fun because I get to say things like GeForce and Radeon. So to run King's Quest, you need at least an Intel Core 2 Duo E 6300 at 1.8 gigahertz, yes, that's gigahertz, or an AMD Athlon 64 X2 4800 plus at 2.4 gigahertz. You also need at least one gig of RAM, but I mean, who's only got that much these days? Now, from an OS perspective, we're sadly only Windows here. Uh, At least Windows XP is required and the game is officially supported up to Windows 8. Now, I did run it on my fresh Windows 10 upgrade without any issues, especially once I updated my video drivers. Now, since the game is only available via digital download, you'll have to clear up 13 gigs of drive space to play the game. Man, I think if I heard something like that back when I was playing the original King's Quest games, I'd probably have had a heart attack. I mean, I think when I got the disc version of King's Quest V, we maybe had a 50 meg hard drive. My dad actually made us return that game to the store because it took up too much space. These days, I actually consider 13 gigs to be a small game. I mean, God, times have changed, eh? Same goes for RAM. A gig, 1,024 megs. Hell, when we upgraded from 8 to 16 meg, I thought... I was a cool kid on the block. Now, 16 gigs is getting to be standard. I mean, that's an order of magnitude more RAM, people. So from a sound perspective, any DirectX 9.0C compatible sound card will do. And frankly, this, this is one of those things that makes me a little bit sad today. I mean, sound hardware is great these days, But it's sort of become very commoditized, right? The technology curve on computer audio has sort of flatlined. I mean, we talked about it a little bit last week. I remember getting my first sound card, then upgrading to a Sound Blaster 16, then a Sound Blaster Live, and each card was substantially better than the one before it. Now, unless you're really into music or sound design, you probably have some real tech onboard sound chip, or you have a USB headset that has a digital signal processor in it. And these are all well and good, but I feel like sound hardware isn't something you really have to think about anymore. It's not something that you get excited about anymore, which, you know, honestly, makes me very sad because I used to spend a lot of time trying to get my computer and my games to sound as good as they possibly could given the hardware that I had. Now, it just doesn't matter. It all sounds the same. On the other hand, one thing we do pay a lot of attention to these days is in the graphics department. Now, this game is great looking. But at the same time, it's not really a huge powerhouse that needs the latest hardware. Uh, To render the somewhat cartoony, very stylish, slightly cel-shaded looking graphics, you need at least a GeForce 8800GT or Radeon HD 4770 with at least 512 megs of video RAM. Now, I like having a fairly modern system, but these requirements are more than easy if you have a system that's less than, I don't know, seven years old, 10 years old even. I believe I upgraded my previous machine to a GeForce 8800 GT, and since then I've gotten a new machine and I've had two new graphics cards. You know, I think, so my 8800 was like four graphics cards ago, and I'm not really at the front of the curve. So while this is a modern game, any relatively recent machine should be more than capable of playing it. Also, since we're in the modern time... Uh, We are well into the realm of modern and mature game engines. So, unlike the Sierra of old, this new King's Quest game did not herald in any sort of new technology or next-gen game engine. King's Quest is built on Unreal Engine 3, which is built and maintained by Epic Games. Uh, The engine first came out in 1998 and was showcased by a first-person shooter I have yet to cover named, of course, Unreal. Now, until 2009, if you wanted to build a game in Unreal Engine, you could... However, if you wanted to sell a game made in Unreal Engine, you had to shell out a lot of money to Epic to license it from them. In November of 09, though, Epic released what is known as the Unreal Development Kit. This kit offered a more flexible and approachable licensing model to both AAA and indie developers. Basically, if you wanted to sell a game made using the Unreal Development Kit, which is basically just Unreal Engine 3, you have to pay Epic a one-time fee of $99, and then fork over 25% of your game's revenue for any sales above $50,000. If you're putting out your game for free, there's no cost at all. Now, since, you know, things have happened and time has passed, Unreal Engine 4 has actually come out, but it's still in pretty early days, and we haven't seen much in the way of release commercial games on it uh, as of yet. I think the new Unreal Tournament, I don't know if that's already out But uh, if it isn't, that'll be kind of a showcase, and there's all kinds of contests and developer days and stuff like that to start making stuff on it. But uh, not a ton as of yet, at least as far as I know. Game development people, uh, let me know if I'm wrong. So engine aside, as we do here, let's discuss one of my favorite aspects of, uh, of many games, their music. So the music for this new King's Quest was composed by the Brothers Stanton. That's David and Ben Stanton, a composing team based out of Los Angeles. The two brothers both graduated from University of Southern California's scoring for motion picture and television programs. Or program. Ben uh, graduated in 2006 and David graduated in 2007. They've worked in both film and games, including titles like uh, The Misadventures of P.B. Winterbottom and Neil Gaiman's Wayward Manor. Now, I love the music in this game. It has just enough strains of the previous King's Quest themes mixed in with some immensely beautiful new music. This stuff is right up my alley. Uh, I especially enjoy the softer piano pieces when you're wandering around town. I mentioned it on Twitter when I was prepping the show, but uh, you know, I, I, as, as I tend to do, I try as much as possible to listen to the game's music while I prep the show to kind of get me in the zone. And uh, I had a problem this time because I, I found myself no longer typing at certain points and just sort of staring off into space listening. I mean, I really dig this stuff.
2: upper memory block podcast time
3: for
0: okay dev story time now if you're interested in the story of the first eight king's quest games jump back to that episode i can't remember which number it is it's pretty old and uh and take a listen as i said king's quest is an immensely important game in both the history of adventure gaming and the history of sierra as a company Now, where I'm going to jump in is post-King's Quest Mask of Eternity. Like many long-running game series, there have certainly been a few tries to create a ninth King's Quest game. A sequel was planned, uh, either with a new protagonist or uh, to continue on with Connor from, uh, from that last game. However... Despite the fact that King's Quest VIII sold better than King's Quest VII, the writing was pretty much on the wall. It was 1998; adventure games were not the hot commodity they used to be, and uh, work on King's Quest IX was canceled, as was work on uh, many other adventure games in the pipe. Uh, there's more to it than that, but uh, you know we won't get into it now. I think the last adventure game that came out that wasn't canceled at this time was uh, Larry, the last Leisure Suit Larry. I can't remember seven, probably seven. So after Vivendi bought Sierra, uh, there were rumors of a new King's Quest in the work again. Works again around 2001. Uh, some leaks showed a potential action adventure, with uh, possibly with a Graham looking knight with shiny armor flipping and jumping around, wielding a big sword. Thankfully, that idea never took off. So there was no, I mean, aside from the, the elements of King's Quest VIII, uh, there were no uh, action adventure pure platformer King's Quests where Graham kicked ass. Uh, from there, it seems like rights jumped to Silicon Knights uh, for a little while and eventually ended up where we thought they'd stay and result in at least a passable game. Uh, in February of 2011, Telltale announced that they had come to an agreement with Sierra to create new adventure games within existing Sierra properties, the first of which would be King's Quest. Now, these games were intended to mirror the work they'd done on uh, you know, Tales from Monkey Island and the Monkey Island Special Editions in uh, 2009. So the goal here was to continue the series with episodic games and preserve the backstory of the previous games. Uh, the gameplay would be reminiscent of uh, old adventures, but would be modernized to some degree to remove you know, the most frustrating aspects such as dead ends and repetitive annoying deaths. Uh, the danger of death would still exist, but just not in the punishing manner of the old games. Now it All seemed well. Telltale even contacted Roberta Williams to see if she'd be interested in coming back to the industry to work on the project. Uh, she declined, but offered Telltale uh, what they refer to as some very valuable advice. Now, through 2012, we continued hearing that Telltale was figuring out their approach to the game. Then, all of a sudden, on April 3rd, 2013, boom, the game was cancelled, seemingly out of the blue. Now, for a year, we heard nothing. Another King's Quest sequel had been quashed, I mean, it happened before, so no big deal. But, a little over a year later, we found out why few months ago, in 2015, we got the announcement that Activision Blizzard was reviving the Sierra name, and the first big classic franchise that would be brought back to life was King's Quest. Uh, Telltale was no longer on the project. A different studio named The Odd Gentleman was to develop the new game. So, what do we know about The Odd Gentleman? Well, when this announcement came out, I basically knew nothing. So The Odd Gentleman is a studio founded by Matt Korba and Paul Beleza back in 2008. Uh, The two were classmates at USC and graduated from the school's game design program. Their first game, a puzzle platformer called The Misadventures of P.B. Winterbottom, uh, started off life as Korba's Master of Fine Arts thesis. Uh, The game released in 2010, two positive reviews. After the completion of the project... Baleza left the company to return to Riot Games, uh, which he'd left to work on Winterbottom. He's currently the product manager for in-game events on League of Legends. So, hey, he's got a good job. It's all good. So, after a few more successful games, we come to King's Quest. Now, it's clear from all their interviews and behind-the-scenes videos that Korba and the rest of the Odd Gentlemen team are huge fans of the series. Uh, When the word went out that Activision was potentially reviving Sierra and looking to create a new King's Quest game many, many development studios submitted their pitch. It was here that Korba, producer Lindsay Rostel, and the rest of the team brainstormed on the roof of their offices and came up with the framework of having an older Graham telling stories of his adventures to his granddaughter. Uh, they both out the art and the story treatment. All around that, uh, they won the bid and moved forward. I'm sure there's more to it than that, but uh, <laughs> that's good enough for our purposes. As I've mentioned already, uh, the game's art has a fairly unique look to it. Art director Evan Cagle went back into the art of the old King's Quest games and referenced many of the uh, the old matte paintings and iconic scenes and recreated them by hand. Now, when I say by hand, I don't mean by hand in Illustrator or by hand in Photoshop on a tablet or whatever, but with actual pencils and paints to paper. These hand-drawn art assets would then be scanned in and transformed into game assets by other 3D artists. Uh, this was one way they were able to maintain the game's unique look. Another huge and immediately noticeable aspect of the game is the very high-quality writing and voice acting. Uh, The writing is tight and witty. Each of the characters has a ton of personality. Uh, As I said, unlike previous King's Quest games, this one takes itself a bit less seriously, which really translates into some fun dialogue, especially old Graham's constant stream of puns which make both us and Gwendolyn groan pretty heavily. And the writing, as you heard in the uh, the little teaser there, uh, is delivered by an all-star cast. I mean, Old King Graham is played by none other than Christopher Lloyd, who we all know from films like Back to the Future, uh, shows like Taxi, He Was a Bad Guy in Star Trek III, and countless other projects. Uh, Young Graham is voiced by Josh Keaton, who is known for tons of voice work, including Disney's Hercules, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Green Lantern, as well as uh, being the voice of Anduin Rin in World of Warcraft, among uh, many other game projects. Gwendolyn is played by seven-year-old Maggie Elizabeth Jones, who already has a large filmography, including We Bought a Zoo, Identity Thief, and the TV series Ben and Kate. Manny, one of the knights you'll work with and against, is played by the uniquely voiced Wallace Shawn, who I know best as Vizini from The Princess Bride, as well as Grand Nega Zek on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Quark! (laughs) Uh... No matter what role he's in, though, you can't help but recognize his high-pitched, somewhat nasally voice. Uh, Tom Kenny, the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants, voices the Merchant of Miracles. I mean, this voice cast is amazing. There's a lot of other people in there, and uh, they all deliver great performances. So the team has a story, they have art, they have a programming team developing the game on Unreal Engine 3, they have music, they have some great puzzles, uh, many of which even have multiple solutions. I'm not sure if the Odd Gentlemen team had any access to the work that had been previously done, if any work had been previously done by Telltale, uh, but they certainly did keep a lot of the structural aspects that had been discussed by them. Uh, the game would be released in episodic format, ostensibly because the full five-episode game would be too large to release as a single game. Not entirely sure that's the only reason. I mean, there are certain economic advantages to releasing an episodic game, but you know, what? we'll go with it. Uh, the other thing that hung around is the possibility of death. Now, in the prologue alone, you can be killed by the dragon in various ways. Now, when you die, uh, the game simply dumps you back to the last save point, which is usually either seconds before you have to make the decision that causes you to die, or at least less than a minute in the past. Uh, you know, this makes trying out different deaths more of a a curiosity and a fun thing than a frustration. I mean, even the narrative takes the deaths in stride. When young Graham dies, Old Graham either suddenly realizes he was remembering the story wrong, or Gwendolyn calls him out on it. At times, it's actually quite funny. As with uh, Telltale, the team met with both Ken and Roberta Williams and showed them what they were doing. Uh, there was some really good video about that at uh, the Video Game Awards. Uh, the couple were suitably impressed and gave the team their blessing and their seal of approval, which, while it wasn't required at all, uh, I can only imagine was a huge boost to, uh, to the development group. So, with all this, King's Quest Episode 1, A Night to Remember, released on July 29th, to generally positive reviews in and around the low to middle uh, 80s. Some reviewers stated that uh, they found the lack of a quick travel system annoying, as it causes you to retread areas over and over. Also, the fact that it's impossible to skip any dialogue was a minor sticking point as well. However, those two minor points are no reason to avoid this game. The second episode, Rubble Without a Cause, has Graham involved in a situation where goblins kidnap the entire population of Daventry. Uh, A small teaser video is out, but doesn't really show us much. Uh, Chapter 2 is due sometime in Q4 of 2015, and that's about as close to a date as we have right now. So what does the future hold for this new King's Quest? Well, Five total episodes plus uh, an epilogue, or maybe it's four episodes plus an epilogue, are are slated for the game, though uh, we have no release schedule yet. I also suspect that any future revived Sierra franchises, such as Police Quest, Quest for Glory, or dare I say even Space Quest, likely hinge on the sales and popularity of this game, so let's hope it does well. So where can we get our hands on King's Quest today? Well, at all? (laughs) Ever? (laughs) Today. Sorry, that's a default uh, reaction there. Where can we get our hands on King's Quest? Well, you can buy it very easily via Steam. I don't believe it's available on GOG as of yet. Uh, You can grab it episode by episode for uh, $9.99 or grab the Season Pass, which I imagine will give us access to all the episodes for $39.99. As I said, so far, these games are Windows only, so Mac folks, uh, myself included, if I want to play it on the go, are unfortunately out of luck. Okay, a few more emails before we get to my opinion. This is a pretty email-heavy show. Thank you, everyone, for sending those in uh the first one isn't actually an email it's a forum comment from the harpo marxist over on uh in the i believe it's the adventure games thread in uh, on the gamers with jobs forum which uh, i frequent and quite enjoy and he writes the crackerjack writing and performances are the main highlights for me as well as the narrative framing device of graham as an old man telling the story to his granddaughter that framing story is used smartly and effectively and lloyd is nothing short of brilliant as old graham He's clearly having a ball, but there's also a nice edge of sadness running underneath anything, everything. Because the series has been absent from the larger gaming conversation for a while now, this sense of the passage of time works particularly well for people who played the early games. I was keenly aware of how young I was when I first played a King's Quest game, and there's a nice synchronicity between that experience and an older King Graham trying to relive his past glories. It is well handled with just the right light touch in, uh, in the writing. I feel like usually a framing story can be clever, or it can be functional, or it can be moving. Rarely is it all three. Uh, They mine tons of laughter out of it. The game has some I laughed so much I cried moments, but also use it to show how your choices in the story are impacting your granddaughter. There's a surprising amount of replayability and multiple solutions to a healthy chunk of the puzzles. The rest of the cast outside of Lloyd is also top-notch, including a great cameo from Wallace Sean. Everyone feels like they are bringing their A-game. My main concern for the reboot is that it wouldn't feel like classic King's Quest. It would be a KQ platformer or, or just be all wrong tonally. Yet despite having mechanics that are more than a little inspired by Telltale, they managed to make the game really feel like a classic King's Quest game. The odd gentlemen are clearly fans of the series, and they quite deftly managed to incorporate the classic tone of King's Quest and bring their own voices to bear without murdering my nostalgia or utilizing it in a way that could seem pandering. There are just the right amount of homages and easter eggs. It's really polished and tight, but also has more content than I was expecting. I was anticipating a two to three hour episode that would be adventure game light, and I got a five hour experience that made me laugh often and had more than a few moments that were strangely moving, though full disclosure, King's Quest games emotionally impact me for reasons outside of the games themselves. I'm really curious to see where they're going to go with it, but I'm 100% on board right now. I should stress that uh, by no me that I by no means consider it a perfect execution. The puzzles in general trended a bit on the easy side. There are some characters here and there that don't didn't really click for me, such as the merchant. Uh, the way the game changes angles between screens sometimes threw my sense of orientation off, which did lead lead to uh, losing a few minutes wandering in the wrong direction on occasion. But my general takeaway is that they've gotten the spirit of King's Quest spot on and made a really beautiful, hilarious game. It feels like everyone involved loves this project to pieces. If anyone plays, please remember to blow the horns more than you should. Trust me. Uh, so I, I asked uh, the Harpo Marxist if I could post this because I thought it was a really, really great, succinct, and uh, spot-on uh, little review. So uh, you know, if you guys are interested, go check out Gamers with Jobs at, uh, at gamerswithjobs.com. We have a, a great community there. It's been running for gods more than 10 years and uh it's very mature very great i thank alima for uh for pointing me over to it next we have a voicemail from brian demodulated host of square waves fm so take it away brian
4: Hey there, Joe, and hey, Blockers, it's Brian. I um, don't have any experience playing the latest King's Quest series. I intend to give it a try at some point, perhaps on sale, but uh, I wanted to share some of my thoughts about the King's Quest series, because I uh, have played several of those. So I'm not the biggest fan of the King's Quest series. I've been playing them since about number four. I've tried the earlier ones, and they're kind of too old for me to really get into um, I tried King's Quest 4 for a short while, but for whatever reason, I had a lot of trouble with the text parser. I would type in sentences, and it just wouldn't understand me. I think it just had a really short uh, vocabulary, so you had to state things the same way that the developers had in mind, which I found kind of frustrating because I knew what I wanted to do, but uh, it just uh, it wouldn't take. So I gave another try to King's Quest V when that came out, and that was the first Sierra game that had a point-and-click interface with the mouse and uh, 256 color VGA graphics, and that really, really rocked my world the first time I saw that. I remember sitting uh, with uh, my friend... Uh, At the time, at his house, he had just bought the game, and we were absolutely astounded watching that opening sequence, just seeing uh, King Graham walking through this lush forest, and uh, there's an animation where he uh, bends down and picks a flower that uh, was somehow just a really monumental, important time for us in, uh, Sierra's history, so that was quite something. But, uh, the more we played King's Quest V, the more frustrated we got with it. You die all the time. There's so much getting killed in that game. It's kind of the most brutal, <laughs> uh, series that Sierra ever put out, despite kind of the, uh, the, uh, disparity between, uh, the cutesy-poo presentation. So, um... You die all the time, and a big no-no in adventure game design that King Quest V seems to do a few times is that you can proceed uh, to something new without having picked up a crucial item, or you can uh, proceed to uh, miss something that only happens once, and you don't really know whether it's important. And even when you get to the point in the story where you need to have used an item that you missed, you don't really know where you missed it. Seems very, very random to me. I can't imagine anyone really beating this game without a hint book, which is quite a shame. And then King's Quest VI, I owned that one. I owned five as well, and only the floppy version, by the way, so I was spared the horrific Cedric the Owl voice acting. King's Quest VI, also I owned on on, uh, floppy, and that was really gorgeous. But once again, lots and lots of dying, and there was a lot of trial and error where you would either do something or not do something and die, and then have to... Hopefully you would just save and you would restore and do it again slightly differently. Uh, What comes to mind is uh, the puzzle on one of the islands islands where you have these gnomes. Each one has a a different prominent uh, sense, and you have to trick each of their senses. So I think I must have done that like 30 times or something by the time I figured out what I needed to trick them with because it's a timed puzzle where you die. So anyway, um, in King's Quest VII... King's Quest 7 was actually the only game I ever got a refund for. The only Sierra game I ever got a refund for. They had a little insert in the box that said that if you, uh, for any reason, are dissatisfied with your Sierra game, just mail it to us with your receipt and we'll send you a refund. So King's Quest 7 was very cartoony and there was a lot of crying and just kind of seemed thematically different to me than the other King's Quests. So I sent that in for a refund and uh, Sierra was uh, good good uh, with their promise. So... I have to admit a very silly reason why I haven't played, why I'm not really that interested in playing the uh, King's Quest, new King's Quest series with the new Sierra right away. It's because I watched only the very beginning of the uh, VGAs, the Video Game Awards, because I despise those. I I despise awards in general, but particularly these ones. I think they're very superficial. But to my delight, they had uh, a little retrospective of Ken and Roberta Williams and their impact on. The games industry, and they actually had the two of them up on stage as well, where they say a few words, and then uh, they called up to the stage the new Sierra and Roberta Williams put King Graham's uh, cap on one of their heads, and uh, the guy immediately took it off. Now that's kind of a disrespectful thing you don't do. You don't you don't scorn. a uh, gift from roberta williams especially when you're the one taking on her legacy that really rubbed me the wrong way and it made me question whether these guys are really carrying the torch you know you just don't do that anyway those are my two three or maybe seven cents or so uh love the podcast as always and uh keep up the great work joe see ya
0: well thanks brian and you know it's funny i i watched all that video game award stuff too and uh I don't know if it's because I was excited or whatever, but I, I didn't notice him taking off taking off the hat. I don't know if it would have uh, rubbed me any any way, shape, or form, but, um, you know, if you do watch kind of some of the behind-the-scenes stuff and the little featurettes that have been coming out through the development of the game, and even, I think, the some of the interviews that they showed, I think there was a little piece that they showed at the Video Game Awards there. Uh, you know, these guys are fans. They definitely are, and... Um, you know, they, they got the tone right. And I think, uh, they were very concerned about that. So if that's the reason, I think maybe you should reconsider, but, uh, with all that, thanks for the retrospective on, on, uh, your experience with the King's Quest games. And, uh, you know, to be honest that they're not all my favorite either. I have kind of a special place for King's Quest six, uh, just because it's the first CD-ROM game I ever bought. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy it. I think the art is beautiful. I think the music is nice. Uh, Yeah, the puzzles are hard, but Sierra game puzzles were generally hard. I I usually went for hint books because I could convince my parents to buy them for me. So, um, yeah, to me, six is the best one. And uh, the rest of them, eh, five I have some memories of. I was really young, so Cedric didn't really bother me at the time. And, uh, you know, I went back and played the rest of them uh, later on and enjoyed them. The first one was very simplistic, but that's understandable being that it was basically, you know, the first graphic adventure game kind of a thing. But thanks so much for the comments.
2: You are listening to the Upper Memory Podcast.
0: Alright, so verdict time. Oh, I'm not going to ask if the game holds up today. It's new. So I guess the question is, do I like King's Quest? Would I recommend you give it a try? Well, if you haven't guessed already, the answer is absolutely yes. I mean, aside from the one or two minor inconveniences like unskippable dialogue... This is far beyond anything I expected this game to be. I said it already, and I'll say it again. The visuals, the lighthearted tone, the great writing, the amazing voice acting, uh, the occasionally challenging puzzles. I mean, this is a great game. Controls are fluid, the music is simply delightful, and I mean, this isn't nostalgia talking, I just said it. I mean, aside from King's Quest VI, I'm not really a diehard fan of this series, but playing this game actually made me smile. I mean, Christopher Lloyd's performance especially had me giggling, nodding, shaking my head. I mean, I was into this game. I finished episode one in I think a little over five hours, uh, and that was with me not trying many of the alternate solutions uh, to the puzzles. I only got four or five of the Steam achievements, uh, so there's probably another hour or two at least of gameplay in here. I mean, there's honestly no other way I can describe this game. It's delightful. I mean, if you're in a bad mood... You go play this game, it'll put a smile on your face. I mean, there's aspects I haven't covered, like uh, the personalities of your competitor knights, the bridge trolls and the great puzzles surrounding them, uh, the baker, the crazy alchemist couple, uh, the amazing chrome effect on the guard's armor, which I couldn't help but keep staring at. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot here in a short experience. If you're a fan, of Sierra games in any way, uh, you should really give this a look. But even if you're not, there's no prerequisites here. I mean, this game is approachable and it's fun and it gives me a lot of hope for uh, for this new revived Sierra going forward. This is a big, big, big recommended play from me. Okay, so that's basically it for the show, but before we go, I want to do one more thing. I know I didn't really get around to doing a giveaway in August, but for September, I've got a good one and a timely one. I've got a Steam key for a copy of the new King's Quest, courtesy of Sierra. Uh, If you'd like it, drop me a note at podcast at umbcast.com with the subject line King's Quest giveaway, and I'll draw a lucky winner in the next eh, two to three weeks. Uh, This is a good one, but you got to play if you want to win, so send me that email. So that's it. Uh, next time, in the next show, in the next real show, uh, I think I'm going to cover uh, System Shock. Yes, <laughs> uh, GOG kind of put out a System Shock Enhanced Edition. The internet kind of freaked out. And you know what? I realized I've never played it. So um, yeah, next time, System Shock, System Shock 2. Uh, though I might slot in a new show before that, uh, before I actually get to reviewing the game, I want to give myself a good amount of time with both System Shock and System Shock 2 so I can... Uh, you know get the experience in. So as always, send email or audio comments to podcast at umbcast.com. Thanks to Rick Moyer for his great audio work. You can find his stuff over at moyermultimedia.com And don't forget, if you enjoy the show, you can become my boss or at least my supporter over at patreon.com slash umbcast. Uh, if you find some value from the show, please consider joining my current patrons and donating a buck or two uh, to help me with costs and to hit the next goal of uh weekly video streamslash let's play type things i think i'm only like seven bucks or eight bucks away so you know if someone wants to throw some money my way I, that'll be really great and get me to that point where uh i can do those things uh check out the show notes for this show and all the other shows at umbcast.com join the facebook group at facebook.com groups slash umbcast follow the show on twitter at twitter.com umbshow and me personally at twitter.com slash billybob476 i post between them vary for various reasons you can find the show on YouTube at youtube.com slash UMBCast where I put up videos of my game research sessions. The Hangout is there from last week. And uh, frankly, I didn't realize it, but my uh, my Spycraft video got like 500 hits, 500 views for some reason. And that's like six or seven times more than my, uh, my videos usually get. So uh, I'm going to do a few more of those. Uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Stream us live at Stitcher Radio. Leave me a review. Five stars. Blah, blah, blah. All that noise. And we will see you next time. For system shock here in the upper memory block
3: your stomach growls and mind does too it's not a trap it's just free food come the wessels visit me you only need Battle control terminated.
2: You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com.
1: So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here?
0: Join.